You think there's a point where we're too comfortable in life? See, that video suggests that Christ will ask us to do things that are outside of our comfort zone. He may ask us, you and me, to do things that seem rather inconvenient. And I wonder, how, how do you respond? How do we respond if Christ asks us to do something that doesn't match up with our plans? You know, the things we want to accomplish, the things we want to do. What happens if we encounter a Bible verse or a sermon or, or just something we feel that God's telling us to do, but, you know, it doesn't match up with, you know, what I want to do? I might have to get a little bit uncomfortable. I mean, super easy to follow God when it matches up with our plans, right? Like you're praying, you're like, God, I need a new job. I'm kind of nervous about it. Oh, wait, hold on. It pays better and better benefits? Oh, yeah, this must be God's will. What happens when it pays less and there are no benefits? It's super easy to volunteer for a ministry when it's something you want to do anyways, right? I mean, think about it. Let's say that you, you think... You think you have the most angelic voice to ever be on this planet and everybody would benefit from you sitting up here singing. You just know that you have the prettiest, most amazing voice this earth has ever seen. Super easy to volunteer for the praise team or choir then, right? What about changing dirty diapers and wiping snot off a little kid's face? Not so convenient, right? None of us have that gift. Like that's, that's for other people. Convenient and comfort. I know these are things that all of us love, but do we understand that our comfort in life is not God's goal? Do we understand his plans aren't always going to be or seem convenient? Have you ever thought that your desire to be comfortable could stop you from living the life God has called you to? Have you ever thought that stopping and not living into this purpose and this plan could cause you to miss out on blessings and your purpose in this life? In fact, have you ever thought that saying no to God could cost you more than you ever thought possible? That could cause you to have a pointless, wandering, unproductive life? You see, the story we read together, I hope you read with us in the story, chapter six, was about a group of people who didn't listen to God. They were more concerned with their comfort and their convenience than they were to follow God. And if you ride with us, you found it didn't work so well for them and it won't work so well for you either. See, here's where we left off if you haven't been following along. We've seen Israel get led out of Egypt to Mount Sinai where they were given a covenant and new command, excuse me, and the Ten Commandments are all the other laws. God was preparing them spiritually and physically to, to become this nation. And they knew that one day they would receive this land, they would receive this inheritance that they could call their own, this piece of property that would be theirs from God to grow and develop as a nation. Well, now, a year later after that mountain, God says, pack up everything you have and go to the promised land. And throughout their little bit of time together with God, they've seen him do some amazing things. He's delivered them out of slavery. He's guided them step by step. He's given them law. He's provided for them. 
And what have we seen from the people so far? Worry about their safety and comfort. Complain about their food and water. Complain that the trip is just too hard. But maybe it would be different this time, right? Maybe it would be different. God is calling them to the promised land. I mean, you'd figure they'd be really excited. They heard their parents, their grandparents, their great, great, great grandparents all talk about a day they would inherit this land. So maybe it would be different. Because not only are they getting to live into the promise of God, they're fulfilling what their parents and their all generations would look forward to. So maybe they're pumped up. Maybe they're excited. Maybe they're ready to go all in on this trip so they can have a permanent home. So they start off towards the promised land. And what do they do? Start complaining once again. We can find ourselves in this story really quick, can't we? They complain about how comfortable, they complain about how hard the trip is. They start complaining about the food and reminiscing once again about how it was in Egypt when they were slaves. I mean, think about how delusional they were. They started thinking about onions. That's actually in the book, if you read it. They start thinking about the onions they once had in Egypt. You know they're delusional, they've lost it. And each time they complain, I mean, they start complaining about Moses being their leader. And each time they complain, God deals with it harshly. He doesn't let it slide. You see, God's doing something with him. He's preparing them for something greater. They need to learn to trust him. They need to learn to trust in his power because he has proven himself over and over again, but they're still complaining. And so the group finally gets close enough to Canaan to to look at the promised land. And so Moses sends a recon mission. He sends some people to go check it out, to tell them about the land, tell the rest of the group what it's like. And so Moses does three things by sending this group. He's preparing for a military battle. How big are the people? How many people are there? What's going on? He wants to know what the land is like. How fertile is it? Is it clay? You know, what's going on from Virginia? We had a lot of clay, so throw that in there sometimes. And third, he wanted some fruit. Remember, he said, get some grapes. So they sent spies out, explored the land for 40 days. They brought back some pomegranates, some figs, and some huge grapes. And so the recons, the spies, they go out, look at the land, they come back with this stuff to tell the people about the land that God is gonna give them. And I imagine the people are excited. They wanna hear about it. They see these massive grapes. They're like, tell us, What is this land? Tell us what it's like. And they reported the land is flowing with milk and honey. How does land flow with milk? Does anybody know? I don't know, but I'm very curious about what does flow milk. Anyways, let's keep going. But they say the cities are well protected and large. And the people are huge. They gave a report that Moses asked, but Caleb stood before, gets out of control and says, hey, we know it's a lot of people. We know that's fortified. We know the people are big. But look what Caleb says, Numbers 1130. He says, but we should go up and take possession of land for we can certainly do it. He's fired up. He's ready to go. God's given it. God says we could take it. Yeah, we've seen the stuff, but we can do it anyways. 
But the other one said, well, we can't attack them. They're stronger than us. The people are huge. They're giants. And they didn't stop there. They went around telling the rest of the Israelites why they couldn't do it. So they not only got themselves worked up, they got the rest of the people. You see, negativity spreads fast. And negativity is easy to um, clench hold of. They went around and got everybody, we can't do it, we can't do it. And so the people became distraught. They started complaining. They started complaining about what God had asked them to do. Check this out. They're getting mad at God for trying to bless them. How many of us would realize that if God's called us to do something, he has something better in store, but we're complaining about receiving a blessing? And so they decide, you know what? We should choose a better leader. This isn't our guy. Yeah, he's done the plague thing. He's done the sea thing. Yeah, we know he speaks and like things happen, but we need a better one. They said, you know what? We should have just died in Egypt. That would have been easier. I said, well, what about our families? I mean, what about them? I mean, doesn't God care about them? They're saying this isn't gonna be easy. This isn't gonna be comfortable. We gotta do something that makes us nervous and a little scared. And so Moses, Aaron, and Joshua, and Caleb, they come in, t- in front of the entire group of people and they say this, Numbers 14. It says, the land we passed through and explored is exceedingly good. If the Lord is pleased with us, he will lead us into that land, a land flowing with milk and honey, and will give it to us. Only do not rebel against the Lord. Do not be afraid of the people of the land because we would devour them. Their protection is gone, but the Lord is with us. Do not be afraid of them. This is leadership at its finest, church. Don't focus on the negative. Focus on what God's called you to do. They stand in front. We can do it. Look at God. You see their confidence rests at him. It says, listen, he will lead us. Remember, God's been guiding us step by step. Remember that whole cloud? He's been here the whole time. Don't rebel against the Lord. We've already seen it doesn't work out so well. Don't be afraid. Remember Pharaoh? Remember Egypt? Remember the chariots? Remember the Red Sea? Yeah, God's got this. We've seen him. He's there. And so they get in front of the entire group, try to pump them up, try to get them ready. Said, listen, we have a God. We just can't rebel. We don't need to fear. He's already said it's ours. We can do this. And then we come to what I think is one of the saddest verses in the entire Bible. Numbers 14.10. But the whole assembly talked about stoning them. If you've ever led, you know what this feels like. Yep. But, but God's told us to. I think we have maybe the first Baptist church. What do you think? Sorry, I was a little much, wasn't it? But a group of people is rejecting what God has in store for the nation. And the people are trying. They say, have confidence, trust. But the people said, no. Start talking about killing their leaders. So God steps in, Numbers 14, says the Lord, says to Moses, how long will these people treat me with contempt? How long will they refuse to believe in me? In spite of all the signs I've performed among them, I will strike them down with a plague and destroy them. 
but I will make you into a nation greater and stronger than they. God says, how long will they treat me with contempt, which means an attitude of utter, utter disgust or hatred. You see, God takes our unbelief in his strength and power as contempt, meaning we're treating him with utter disgust. So no, no, no that's, that's not what I'm doing. And God's saying, no, that's exactly what you're doing. How long will they refuse to believe in me? You see, they know that he exists. They see this cloud. They just don't trust him. They don't think he's gonna come through. They wanna do things their way. You ever felt that way? Yeah, God, I, I know what you say, but come on. I, I mean, I've been around a while, God. I mean, I know how to do this. Hasn't worked out for me in the past, but this time, God. And he says, so Moses, I'm gonna take them all out. What does Moses do? He prays. He intercedes for his people, says, no, please forgive them. Just don't do this. They're thinking about killing Moses. God says, I got your back. I'm gonna take him out. And Moses is like, no, don't. Forgive them, Lord. But as you read in the story the other time, she's going, God, why did you call me to this? These people are crazy. See Moses struggling here. God's reply, Numbers 14, the Lord replied, I have forgiven them as you have asked. Nevertheless, as surely as I live and as surely as the glory of the Lord fills the whole earth, not one of those who saw my glory and signs I performed in Egypt in the wilderness, but who disobeyed me and tested me 10 times, listen to this, not one of them will ever see the land I promised on oath to their ancestors. No one who has treated me with contempt will ever see it. Because they didn't trust God, because they didn't step out on faith, God made this entire group of people wander in the desert for 40 years until they died. What a sad, pointless waste of life. And I believe this teaches us as Christians some really important things about our faith and our walk with God. You see, if we understand this one principle, now it's gonna help you with the rest of the Bible. Deuteronomy, when Moses is summing things up, Deuteronomy 8, 5 tells us this. Know then in your heart that as a man disciplines his son, so the Lord your God disciplines you. We have to embrace this because we can get really confused. We can mix our theology up pretty quickly. We can think that just because God is forgiving, that means he shouldn't discipline us. But that's not the case. We could think just because God shows us grace, that means we can do whatever we want whenever we want, and that's not the case. If we understand a foundational principle that God will discipline his children, then we will, the rest of the Bible will start to make sense. See, you are saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ, but God will still discipline his children. And when we get this, when we get to the New Testament, we can stop glossing over things like John the Baptist, who says some really harsh things about repentance. We won't have to gloss over the fact that Jesus says judgment's coming. We won't have to gloss over the things that seem so harsh that Paul says. If you ever read Paul, you're like, man, this guy, does he not know grace? 
He's rough. And then when we get to like Acts 5 and read about Ananias and Sapphira, it'll start to make sense that just because we're saved by grace doesn't mean we can do whatever we want whenever we want. You see, I have three kids, seven-year-old, a five-year-old, and a three-year-old. Right now, we're in the formative years of their life, and they're having a very hard time understanding discipline. Some ways, you may come over and think I'm a strict father, and I'm okay with that because I want my kids to be a benefit to society, not a burden. That's my mission statement as a parent, a benefit, not a burden. I want them to be successful. I want them to have good relationships. I want them to have good friends, great marriages, and maybe it's just my vocation. I see that not all people get these in life. With that, they must learn. When you get mad at someone, you can't punch them in the face. Good principle, yes? Yeah, just something you got to learn in life. They still don't get it. They have to learn just because you love and care about somebody doesn't mean you jump on them and put your face in their face. Like these aren't good social acceptable behaviors. They have to learn that if you want to keep friends, you got to give them some space sometimes. You're like, well, Brian, this is simple stuff, not for them. And so I have to discipline them so they can have better, more productive lives. Because if you punch your boss in the face when they make you mad, you're gonna be unemployed far more than you are employed. Do we agree? So never forget, our purpose in life is to bring glory to God in all that we do. If you're not bringing him glory, you are not representing him well. And don't be surprised if he disciplines your actions. And you can learn it the first time or you can go through your entire middle school career grounded like I did. God will discipline his children. And so things I wanna pull out that we can see from this, and this is important, and I know it seems kind of basic, but if you start thinking through your life, you'll realize you don't catch this the first time. We gotta remember that you can be forgiven, but you still have to deal with the consequences of your actions. I hear people talking about, well, it doesn't matter if I do it, God's gonna forgive me. Yeah, but you're still gonna have to deal with what happens. Some of us don't like this and we're still dealing with it. Some of the decisions we made a long time ago are still there and they're not gonna go away. God will forgive you, but you still have to deal with the consequences of your action. God gave, forgave the people of Moses, the, uh, the Israelites, but they had to deal with not listening. They didn't like it, but they were disciplined for their disobedience. While God is love, we can never forget God is holy and God is just. Do we understand that, church? God is love, but God is also holy and just. We don't want to take advantage of his patience. We also see you can be God's people, but still miss out on his blessings. I really believe this is something uh, Christians miss. The writer of Hebrews, the book of Hebrews, if you want to work your way through that, this is what he's trying to communicate to us. That just because we have eternal life in Christ doesn't mean we can't miss out on some things here and now. You see, the Israelites were God's chosen people. We believe that today through Jesus Christ, we are God's chosen people. And just because God loves you doesn't mean you can't miss out on a blessing from God. Some of you understand this with your marriages. 
Some of you understand this with your finances. Some of you understand this with the relationships and you can't figure out what's going on. Could it be you're disobeying and ignoring God? You see, God still wants people to step out on faith to do things for his glory. And just because you're his person, just because you're his child, doesn't mean you can't miss out on some amazing things. Just because you're a Christian doesn't mean he won't make you wander around for 40 years. And so Moses, remembering the story, they found out that they had to wander in the desert for 40 years. And just like you and I, you'd be like, you know what, that's, that's a terrible idea. I got it. You know what, Moses, we're going to go take the land now. We know God told us. We know we said no. We know we're punished. But you know what? Hey, we're going to do it now. We got this. We've changed our mind. Y'all following me? Wouldn't you have said the same thing? We all know how it works out, though. Some of y'all read the chapter. You're like, yeah, it doesn't work. You see, Moses said, no, 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 it's too late. You can't do it now. Like, God called you to do it. You said no. Now you want to do it. And he's saying he's not going to be with you if you do it. And so they go try to take the land. And what happens? They get whipped. And they get whipped bad. You see, which brings us to our next principle. You already know this. You've lived life. It's not going to work in your favor to do whatever you want when you want. Just because God called you to do something and you said no doesn't mean you can just do it whenever you want. And I think we know this, but I've tried several times in my life to do whatever I've wanted when I've wanted. How about you? Yes? How's it worked out? Not so well. You see, God is not going to bless our sin. And disobedience is sin. Take the land. No, we're good. All right, we'll wander. No, never mind, I want to take the land. No, now you can't take the land. That's disobedience. And it calls to wander. You see, even Moses was banned from entering the land because he did what he wanted rather than listening to God. Anybody else think that's harsh what happened to Moses? Yeah, I don't understand, but I, I'm also not Moses' God, are you? Yeah, we'll let, we'll, let, we'll let God worry about that. You see, only Caleb and Joshua were able to go in the promised land. Caleb was because he was the first to speak up when the report was given. Everybody's complaining, but Caleb said, we should go up and take possession of the land, for we can certainly do it. Remember Numbers 14? God says, because my servant Caleb has a different spirit and follows me wholeheartedly, I will bring him into the land he went to and his descendants will inherit it. You see, even when everybody was against it, Caleb spoke up. Caleb said, no, we can do this. And so what we can learn, which is rather simple, follow God wholeheartedly, not just when it's convenient or not just when it's comfortable. Follow God wholeheartedly, not just when it's convenient or comfortable. You see, Caleb was willing to step out even when the odds were against him even when it was extremely inconvenient. I mean, think about this. He was called to face off with giants. And, and I know we can use that as a metaphor. This isn't metaphorical. Literal giants. And he's like, hey, we got this. His friends and family didn't want to go. Isn't that sometimes the hardest people to work with? Our own friends and our own family who want to do things differently than God? Isn't that the hardest relationships to kind of bring along? So you have... 
Caleb's entire family and friends don't wanna go. And he's like, no, no, I'm not worried about you. We gotta do this. This is what God's called us to do. So he was willing to be uncomfortable and speak out against his own family because this is what God was calling him to do. You see, the Israelites, well, they're willing to follow when it gets you out of slavery. Well, when you got some food in your belly. But when things get hard, they want to turn back and go back against what we always knew. You see, the Israelites were so consumed with themselves, they missed out on a blessing from God. And I don't want you to do that. I don't want you to go through life missing out on a blessing from God because you're so consumed with your here and now. You see, it's easy to follow God when it fits in our life and our retirement and our insurance goals and career goals. It's super hard when other things are happening. You see, all of us are gonna have to face metaphorical giants. We're all gonna be asked to do things that seem a little uncomfortable. But I think we'll be willing to take that step of faith when we realize that God isn't just concerned with our comfort. He's gonna call us to do things that seem rather uncomfortable. And you see, I believe the only thing that stands in the way of a lot of our blessings in life is ourselves. We get so caught up with the here and now, we miss the future and what God has in store. You see, for you, if God's calling you or asking you or you're moving or whatever's going on, you may need to look back and remember all the things God's done in your life. I know many people who keep prayer journals so they can remember every time God's answered and they have to flip back through and go, oh yeah, that's right, he does answer these. Remember what God's already accomplished. Remember what God's already shown you. Remember what he's come through and how he's come through in the past. One of the things you'll, re you'll see throughout the Old Testament is God always calling them to remember what he's done. I've shown myself faithful. I've shown myself to you. Remember and follow through. One author says, because of what God has done, we should have hope and follow him. Because of what God expects, we should listen and obey. And because of who God is, we should love him completely. Well, let me ask you, what's the alternative? It might be a little scary, might be a little hard, but what's the alternative from following God wholeheartedly? Walking in circles, kicking up dust in the sand for 40 years? Who wants to do that? You see, don't let temporary discomfort stop you from inheriting God's best. Follow God wholeheartedly, not just when it's convenient. And I think as a church, this story needs to speak to us. Just like the Israelites were the people of God, we know as a body of Christ, we are the people of God, which means we must follow him wholeheartedly. And church, I ask, I mean, think about this. Do we play it safe? Do we only dream and play enough things that we can accomplish on our own accord? I mean, do we just wanna step out on faith when we know we have the money and when we have the abilities? I mean, what would it look like if we dreamed so big and we took so big of a step of faith that it would fail if God didn't show up? Don't you wanna be a part of things that God shows up in? I don't know about you, but I don't wanna waste my life. Do you? Don't you wanna be a part of a gospel movement that takes over an entire city? 
Don't you want to see God move in such a mighty way that you just get excited and thrilled every Sunday, every time you think about church because you know God is moving in the place? And I know that means we might have to do some things that are scary. And I know you think I'm about to tell you what I think it is. I don't know yet. I'm just saying, are we ready to take a step of faith so big that it's scary and nerve-wracking? We go, hey, if God doesn't show up, we're doomed. Because when that's when he'll show up and watch what happens. You see, I believe, I believe there are so many churches that are wandering. If we were to look at over the landscape of churches, and and maybe you've heard these things, they say 85% of churches are dying or declining. Churches aren't doing well, and I believe it's because they're scared. I believe they're more concerned with their comfort and convenience than following God. And it doesn't work out so well for them. You see, my first pastor was at a church that was 225 years old. It's pretty old, right? Yeah, so you're talking about tradition upon tradition. And this church had been dying. Their resistant change constantly. And I went and talked to them. They, they said they wanted to reach the community with the gospel of Jesus Christ. So I was like, awesome, let's do it. That's not what they meant, though. But I went and talked to their former pastor who'd been there over 30 years. He was 85 years old. I went and talked to him. I said, hey, I'm having a hard time. They say they want to do this. Can you help me understand? This is a quote. <clears throat> he says, in order for that church to change, you have to wait until some of them die. How sad is that? That's what happened in the desert. Hey, in order for you to do it, they need to die. And you see, this church, these churches in in Israel, they left unfinished tasks for the next generation to have to accomplish. Instead of the next generation being able to to enjoy and build what we'll see from Joshua as they conquer and take over. But church, we don't want to leave our church in a state of where the next generation has to finish because we couldn't do it. We want to accomplish what God has called so the next generation can continue moving on. So I don't know about you, but I say we follow God wholeheartedly as a group of people. And I don't know what that looks like, but I have heard that First Baptist Church, what I hear about them, I'm hearing the stories, people reminisce about when First Baptist Church was a pillar in the community and everybody knew who we were. You heard that about us? I think that's pretty amazing. And you see, church, I don't know what God has in store, but I'm excited to see what it is. But I can tell you, in order for us to accomplish all that God's gonna call us to do, it's gonna take every last one of us to step up financially, to be abundantly generous as a church. It's gonna take all of us to step up and reach our neighbors and our friends with the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's gonna take all of us to invite people to church and to share the message of Jesus Christ. And it's gonna take all of us to step up spiritually and serve how God has gifted us. And I know that's scary and I know that's challenging But if you want to look at any church that's reaching people and they're knocking it out of the park for Jesus Christ and the Lord is blessing them, those things are happening. And so we, as a church, must follow God 
wholeheartedly. And this year, as you know, we're just setting the foundation. I don't know what he's going to call us to, but I'm excited to see what it is. To go back to Israel, we're almost done. At every turn and in every change, what did the people do? Complain? Just be careful that you're not on the wrong side of God there. Because God does move forward. God does invoke change. And God does have a mission and a purpose for us to accomplish. You see, the legacy of this generation was turning over incomplete work. And I just pray that our legacy for our generation will be different. That we'll do the hard work We'll make the sacrifices necessary to ensure that First Baptist Church and the mission of God is going strong. So when we hand it over to our kids and our grandkids, they can just continue in success. Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, thank you so much for your word and we thank you so much for these lessons from your people. Father, we see that You will call all of us to tackle things that are hard. Maybe we have some personal things that we need to overcome. Maybe there's just part of our lives that we haven't turned over to you wholeheartedly. Father, I pray that whatever that is, we would give that to you today, that we would trust you, we would have confidence in you. Father, I pray that as a church, we will seek you. We know that you are moving and you are still on the mission of reaching people with the gospel. Father, I pray that you give us all an urgency and a boldness to step out on faith when you call us to do it. Father, we love you and we thank you so much. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.